0: All right, Catherine, would you like to start a podcast? I actually would not like to start a podcast. I'm going to sit here quietly. What would you like to do? Oh, I would like to start a
1: podcast. Welcome everyone to the Ribbon Book Club, a Dear America podcast. My name is Jen. My name is Kate. And we're here today to wrap up our discussion on Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie, uh, the Oregon Trail Diary of Hattie Campbell. Uh, And we have a special guest with us today. Our special guest is Chris Carey. Um, who is a friend of mine, I know him, from grad school days. Um, and he's now a big fancy park ranger for the National Park Service. Um, and he has worked at the Whitman Mission historical site, um, which is one of the sites in our book that I totally know about. <laughs> he doesn't work there anymore. But, uh, Howdy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. <laughs> um. So... To get us started off why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and talk about uh what was how did you get interested in history as a kid what was your um what was your uh gateway drug if you will oh
2: actually that would be the national park service Um uh, so really? my parents um well even going before that i was a train boy uh, yes i was a choo-choo boy and i was very much the kind of person um so My mother has, yes, you know, Jen is a train girl. (laughs) No, I did not. And
1: Amtrak Joe. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, but when I was really little, um, I was so enthralled and interested in trains that, um, if somebody came up to me like a parent and said, Oh, so you're interested in choo choos, I would correct them and say, No, they're not choo choos, they're trains or steam locomotives. (laughs) um, How many lockers
0: did you get pushed into?
2: Uh, I don't know. I couldn't fit into many of them. There you go. That's <laughs> very best thin defense. lockers in school. They they help. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but growing up, I really loved trains. My parents took me to a lot of railroading museums, and my first national park was actually Steamtown National Historic Site. Um, mm. so there I kind of got my taste of museums. Um, throughout my childhood, we got I got taken to museums because I was really interested in history, and So really how I got into history more was when I was in I think it was my two year college at SUNY Mm Broom. I was basically there was a a professor. He was a really good professor. I had two of them actually. And they were in the history department. I had decided that I was gonna go work on the railroad. And my parents had convinced me to like a classic song.
0: Right. Yes. You're like, actually, yeah. it's not 1875 anymore. So that is not an option.
1: <laughs> actually, yeah. there are so many people who work on the railroad now. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a
2: whole thing. Oh, yeah. But anyway, well, my parents convinced me um, to go to a couple of years of college. And while I was there, I ran these two professors and mm. they reignited my love of history. And they said, why aren't you going into history? You're so good at this. Mm-hmm. And oh. Uh, one of them got me a summer internship at the local library Uh, go libraries if you haven't gotten your library card in your local community go do it absolutely just do it Um, and I worked with the county archive and the county historian from there I ended up going to SUNY Cortland um, to get my bachelor's in history and that's where I got my new encounter with the park service I worked as a intern um, in Richmond National Battlefield Park I reignited my interest in the park service and that summer after I got back I just happened to go back to Steamtown again and right outside uh, the park there I was sitting and I looked at my dad and said you know I want to be a park ranger mm-hmm. and from there I met Jen at grad school at um, CGP and mm-hmm. um, that's how it happened it, it's a kind of a long story but it's a so, story well endowed in museums
0: yeah <laughs> uh, trains were kind of your gateway drug and you got into history because that's where the trains are kept <laughs> the old yes. trains. anyway that's true well yeah. until Absolutely. america invested in its infrastructure
1: yeah now i have to ask and this is just a choo-choo question <laughs> have have you been to dollywood
2: in tennessee i have not
1: oh but i am there's... very
2: familiar with their locomotives
1: okay yeah there's a there's an excellent train there that's still like coal burning and uh, just very old-timey um and that's all i just wanted to talk about, about the whole story i just that's... want to talk about
0: Hollywood. um and, so i've never loved you more
1: <laughs> uh but we're not here to talk about trains uh as much as we both would love to well wagon trains okay Okay, there we go. See what I did there? It's a good good segue. We're here to talk about the wagon trains of uh, prairie schooners going out west in 1847. Prairie schooners, good word. Thank you. I learned that from this book and from going to museums. Um so what what do we want to start off talking about? Um, I started talking, and I didn't have a question in mind.
0: Oh, I have questions, okay, okay, thank you um, so I am gonna start now that we've talked about Jen's special interest trains. about the trains okay, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about mine um, so one of my super nerdy deep loves is historic cooking, and when we're discussing Oregon Trail uh along the course of this uh novel that we read uh. The dealing with feeding all of these people was really uh, difficult and challenging uh, to do it on the move and keep everybody well-fed in a way that was safe. Um, so what foods would have been commonly prepared while people were on the move? And how did they deal with the rot of those foods and supplies? Mm. Um, and in the course of your studies, have you ever been surprised about what you've learned that the travelers in or- to Oregon ate?
2: Oh, I'm glad you touched upon this um, because one thing that I found while I was working at Women Mission, I was studying kind of what was going on. What were they eating? How did they survive? Do you want to know what the main thing that they ate were? Was it people? Oh, no. no, not unless your name was Donner. <laughs> which fun fact there is a um in the Donner Pass. is a picnic area that says Donner Pass picnic area no so, yes
0: oh as a descendant of the reeds of the Donner Reeds I must go there yeah I don't know did we I don't think we talked about this on the podcast yeah I not have uh my my last name is Reed uh we were the reeds of the donner reeds who we're like never mind we're gonna stay here it looks awfully icy There's up ahead yeah, yeah that's what we do
2: yeah. um and self-preservation you know. baby that's <laughs> wonderful
0: but anyway i must go there that sounds but, wonderful
2: Um. Uh, so what their biggest thing that they carried with them on the trails was pickles
1: <gasps> oh that's one of my favorite foods excitement
2: Yes. Um, And I was shocked by this because, but it makes so much sense because it wasn't just what we think of as pickles, which are cucumbers that have been pickled, but they had different kinds of pickled foods, um, whether it was radishes, um, that kind of stuff. But pickles were, yes, absolutely. Um, But pickles were huge because A, they carried well because they were already prepared for travel and for being kept. But He also prevented things like scurvy.
0: We Mm, think of scurvy
2: with pirates out at sea and other sailors, but Mm -hmm. you don't think about when you're on land, not having all that nutrients because a lot of the trail it's desert. A lot of it's desert Mm -hmm. and you're not getting all those things that you necessarily need unless you know what roots you're looking for. And as it's mentioned in the book, Mm -hmm. it can be very easy to pick up a plant that's not edible. Right. Uh, so, pickles was actually a very large thing. Um, salt bacon was another. Um, and, uh, well, this also led to a very, it led to the thinning of buffalo herds in the United yes. States. Especially um, buffalo and antelope. And this can basically created an environmental disaster that we're still holding on to today. Which um, makes
1: sense because that's exactly the kind of person I was when I was playing Oregon Trail was I was just just wiping from existence every single bison i could
2: find <laughs> yeah so it's historically uh, accurate it is um, <laughs> and so they did lead um to some trouble with bison herds and thinning them out but mm-hmm. also you get a lot of your food from trade uh so the indigenous peoples who typically were along the trail um uh, they would do a lot of trading uh, hollywood mm-hmm. has done a lot to make indigenous peoples look like the enemy on the oregon trail but they were actually friendly and they were very willing to help out those who were traveling Um, they could help find food they could trade food um, they could trade any kind of resource you needed to get along even if it was just getting across a river they were willing to trade their services for something that you might have and you might not need like extra tools ammunition Mm. Um, even just things that we might not think of, like rope, um, you could trade for those foods and um for services.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. Actually, um, if if we are talking about food, I would love to transition into talking about the depiction of indigenous people in this book. I'm curious, um, what your opinion of of it is um, based on any kind of interpretation that the national park service does um we've we've encountered some kind of less than stellar depictions of of minority people in past books um i had kind of a mixed feeling about this one but ultimately i feel like it kind of ended in a fairly positive place but i'm curious what your thoughts are
2: yeah so before I get too deep into that, one of the things that I would like to acknowledge is just the number of nations that these emigrants had to go through in order to get mm. um, to uh, the West Coast. Yeah. And those groups included, but are not limited to just to show you the expanse of cultures that they had to go through, it included the Kaw, the Kansas, the Kickapoo, the Pawnee, Osage, Cheyenne, Arapaho. Sioux, Crow, Nez Perce, Cayuse, Umatilla, Walla Walla, Warm Springs, Blackfoot, Yakima, Wasco, and wish excuse me, rum, Clackamas, and the um, Cascades. I mean, and that's just the name a few of these cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have to say for the book is, uh, she actually does a good job of balancing a the excuse me. In this book, she does a good job of balancing what they likely would have been thinking at the time. Yeah. With more of a modern mindset of Mm -hmm. these are people. Um, there were a couple of times that I kinda flinched a little bit when she would write, but I understand I understand essentially where she was writing from because she's writing in a diary sense um what i appreciate though is as the book goes on um at the very beginning of the book the main character says something along the lines of um there are three things i'm scared of and one Mm -hmm. of those includes indigenous people but as the book goes on she encounters some of those people and realizes that they're not that scary um of course once she gets to uh The Oregon, uh, excuse me, when she gets to Oregon City, uh, unfortunately that changes because they talk about the attack on the Whitman mission, um, Mm -hmm. which did change a lot of people's minds and and actually helped create what we know as the Oregon Territory. Um, And unfortunately that changes her mind back from what it was. Um, So I kind of, I do understand where the writer is coming from in her writing um, I just really wish that she would have taken a direction like um, the first book in the series does, where the main character is inquisitive. Um, mm, yeah. She's interested about the culture that she's encountering. Um, as we're here, the cultures just always seem to be away from the main character, just just on the horizon mm-hmm. of, oh, well, they're over there. They haven't done anything bad to us, so maybe mm-hmm. they're okay oh well this bad thing happened way away from us so they must be bad yeah Um, I wish that it had kind of gone in a different direction but I can see why the book was written the way it was
1: it's it's such a tough um needle to thread because yeah if you're writing particularly in a first person perspective that's historical and you know you want to be accurate and I think it would be kind of wrong to just pretend that none of these prejudices existed in the past or or you know still today um i i wonder this is kind of like a more um like adult reading of it that i'm not sure that kids would be kind of sensing this level of but i almost wonder if part of the uh the perspective of someone like mem in the first book where she's very curious and and is like very uh, friendly in her outreach to the indigenous people that she meets if that kind of re- uh, versus Hattie's kind of initial uh, fear of them is kind of reflective of their hi- the history that happens between Mem and Hattie of uh, kind of American propaganda a little bit yeah. <laughs> of, against Native Americans which is not to say that Mem didn't have any fear towards them because she does write about that as well but I think by the time we get to 1847, there's already been, I, I'm not well-versed enough in the different movements of like kicking indigenous people out of their Well, it's labs. already
0: past Trail of Tears. Okay, that's what I was wondering about. Because that's 1820.
1: Yeah, yeah. but there's, and, and we'll get to another book later down the line that takes place before this book that is about um, a, a white American girl who gets abducted by a Native American tribe. And is her so- name Stands with Fists? No.
0: Um sorry, but... <laughs> Dancy Wolves is one of my favorite movies.
1: <laughs> but but anyway, I think I, I think like a, a kind of very uh I don't know how intentional this is, but you could read into it that you know Hattie by the 1840s has kind of already a history of American prejudice and and fear and propaganda against
0: Native Americans that she has to overcome. Um I certainly think it's very easy to factor in the assumptions we can make about what Hattie would think mm-hmm. right and that might have been where the author was writing from yeah that like I mean this is already past the presidency of Andrew Jackson oh who gosh yeah was a nightmare terrible person shouldn't be on our money no. next question
2: oh but you are certainly right because by this point in American history um, it's a lot easier to justify taking land when it's a us in them mentality Mm, Um, you have to remember that at this time um, especially with missionaries going west it was us in the heathen Um, and a lot of the idea of christianizing um, these indigenous people was that if we can make them more white we can save them from their inevitable destruction it wasn't if Mm -hmm. their culture disappears it was when their culture disappears as we are going to christianize them and save their souls so that when their Mm -hmm. culture disappears they still have a life here um and so there was very much a mentality of cause a scare cause um distrust of these people uh because as i said if there's distrust and these people are less than human, it's easier to justify taking their land later.
1: Hmm. Mm. Topical. Um. Yeah, that's so interesting too about um, like I I think it, with the kind of missionary mindset and like I I come from an evangelical background, I know not that kind. Like it's evangelical light, uh, but <laughs> but. <laughs> I I you're from the bird
2: dover district
1: (laughs) exactly exactly um uh yeah for for our listeners who haven't listened to our previous podcast upstate new york has a long history of very wild religious cults um but what was i saying oh okay so i i understand the kind of like guilt that you uh, someone raised kind of in an evangelical background is faced with the idea of like, there's all these people in the world who haven't heard the word of our Lord and need to be saved. And also you have this kind of uh, misguided idea that, you know, Western culture is because it is primarily Christian, you know, our cultural practices are the way to go. And any anyone who has different kind of societal customs uh, and culture and practices they're not christian and they're not doing things the way they should be doing and so we need to save them so it's it's this weird mix of uh christian nationalism like bias towards your own culture and also just like a a good-hearted like desire to do what you believe god is telling you to do so it's very complicated is what i was trying to say okay you're giving me a weird face Listen, some of
0: us have a lot of religious trauma to work through. Yeah. No, that's, I was told not to call things cults. Yeah, so yeah. here I am being cave.
2: <laughs> Um And fun fact, uh, Marcus Whitman uh, from the Whitman Mission National Historic Site, he was from upstate New York as well. Um, no, really? Oh, yeah. I've uh, visited um, the, his uh, house place and um, I visited Narcissa's home too when I was home for a little bit uh, during uh, my time working at the Whitman Mission. Mm.
1: Where yeah. where were they from in upstate New York? Do you remember? Please say Rochester, uh, New York.
0: Please say Rochester,
2: New York. No, not Rochester, but There's nearby than... Rochester. Uh okay. if you give me
1: a Holy me Land, you might here. say. <laughs> you only know one city in New York
0: in upstate New York. I know two. Yeah. Uh, and what's the other one? Buffalo? I know three. <laughs> Sleepy <laughs> Hollow was the other one oh. that I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So Marcus Whitman is from Rushville, New York, and Narcissa, his wife, was from Prattsburgh New York. Um, so that's kind of in the Finger Lakes region. Okay. Um, but it was I a very, spots. very intense region of the burned over district. Yeah. And they were both called to action by a minister at the time coming through, because uh, at the time there was stories of these indigenous people in the West who had come to St. Louis to find Meriwether Lewis, who, yes, Mm. St. Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark. Um, And essentially, the story goes that they were coming to look for um, the white man's book of God. Um, We don't know exactly what they were looking for, um, Mm. but we imagine that they might have asked about what we know as the Bible, um, because they were looking for knowledge. They were looking for um, strength in the knowledge of what uh, expanding their culture learning more and learning more of how to incorporate other pieces of culture into their life Um, but it came in um, to this huge story that spread throughout New England and through New York that these savage people were looking to um, essentially bring God into their life and so Marcus and Narcissa in their hometowns were essentially approached by this traveling minister um, who told the story of these uh, quote-unquote flathead Indians who they mm. were actually Nez Perce they weren't flathead um, sure, yeah are we but, sure that they existed at all <laughs> Um. yes we're actually fairly certain that they did exist uh, we do have at least some record of these Nez Perce men coming to St. Louis okay um, but essentially because I wouldn't put them. it
0: past <laughs> now that does no. certainly
1: sound like something they would make
2: up <laughs> yeah it does sound like it sometimes Um, But they get called to action. And actually, Marcus and Narcissa meet each other because the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, or the ABCFM, based out of Boston, who was sending a lot of missionaries all across the world um, to India, Africa, Hawaii, um, they hadn't ever sent somebody to the west coast of North America. Hmm. And essentially, they didn't want to send Marcus because he was a single man. And, of course, single men are prone to sin if they're by themselves. You can't, you can't trust them. Nope, can't trust us uh, at all. Not no. at all. Uh, and they wouldn't send Narcissa because she was a woman. Single lady who, yeah, yep. can't. And so the, uh, Marcus wanted to go and Narcissa went, wanted to go. And so they met and he put a ring on it. Cute. but uh, a, a love story. <laughs> Absolutely, And so basically their honeymoon was their trip out to the West coast where, um, uh, she ended up conceiving their child along uh, the trail West and would have her first baby and only baby in the homelands of the Cayuse people Wow! where they would eventually end up settling.
1: Hmm. Okay. So, and this was from, from what we were reading in the book, that was what, like the first organized wagon train out West or, or uh, one of the
2: first? it was pretty early
0: pretty early so, so that's far.
2: that's one thing where i have issue um oh. i think that her um historical acknowledgement at the end is has a lot of good facts mm. except for the fact that this was not the first wagon train as we think okay. of it so 1836 the whitmans and another group of missionaries called the Spaldings, um henry and eliza who would settle among the nez Perce. Um, they essentially met up with a group of fur traders. Uh, Kate, I know you're really big into the fur trade. Uh, And so they had uh, these fur traders who would often go from Independence, Missouri out um, to Wyoming, where they would have a rendezvous every season. Um, It was a big meetup, uh, kind of think of like a big convention. Um, You
0: don't have to explain rendezvous to me. Jen and I used to (laughs) reenact them. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so for the uh, listeners, a rendezvous is uh, essentially a big meeting place for fur trappers um, would come all over from up into what we now know as Canada, from Montana, from as far down in the south. Um, for, and these, they would trade with indigenous people, with themselves, and with these um, essentially marketers who were coming to get. The furs and take them back east, and it was a big way to resupply these mountain men and fur trappers. It was a way to trade and make good relationships with the um, indigenous people. And the Whitmans and the Spaldings followed this rendezvous train out in 1836. So it wasn't actually a wagon train. It was okay. the Spaldings and the Whitmans, um, and uh, we didn't even know if we could get wagons across the Rocky Mountains at this time, um, and. <laughs> they actually did manage to do it completely they ended up having to leave their wagon in Idaho and by that point mm. it was essentially a two cart um, it was a two-wheeled cart wow. because um, it had gotten so damaged and they made the rest of the trip from this uh, particular place in Idaho on horseback um, to where they were going um, mm. so no the what we think of as the first wagon trains wasn't until approximately Uh, 1840. In 1840, there was about 15 people on that wagon train. And from 1840 on, the numbers just kept getting larger and larger and larger. And what we think of as the first major wagon train wouldn't start until 1842. Um, Hmm. And at that point, uh, Marcus had gone back east um, to go to Boston to save his mission. They were looking to close him down. They thought that he was kind of a failure because, fun fact, he actually didn't convert at least by his standards, a single person. (laughs) The Cayuse people (laughs) did adopt Christian values and brought them into their own culture. But in order for, in his mindset, for them to become fully Christianized, they had to give up everything about their lifestyle. Mm. Um, So he never by the missionary standards, converted anybody. He converted plenty of people who adopted Christian ideas, uh, but never, mm-hmm. at least to his own set. Anyway, to my point. Um, so <laughs> he goes to Boston because they want to shut down his mission. He goes, no, no, don't shut down my mission. We can still save this thing. And on uh, his way back West. Uh, save it. Yeah. Sorry. Cause he's a mission. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: That's okay. Good. That's that's good. That was very funny. Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, and so he meets up with this wagon train um, and he doesn't lead it, but he helps them navigate um, out west and eventually to what becomes the Oregon Trail, um, wow. and that sets off a whole ramshackle set of events that I won't get into now because then I'll just be talking the whole time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why you're of invested. This you're yeah, yeah. allowed to talk the whole time. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Uh, that's
1: uh, stop me if you have anything else to say about this. Um,
2: I will say that this uh, for, um, this first wagon train of 1842 coming um, across essentially puts the workings into order of what would eventually cause what many people know as the Whitman Massacre, uh, which just mm. to note, it wasn't a massacre. It was actually an attack um, based on tribal law. Um, okay. And I can get into that later if you'd like to discuss that. Um, but yeah. essentially um, when he comes back, back he changes his way of what he's doing his mission of why he's in cayuse uh, uh, why he's in the cayuse nation and essentially he was originally there to convert the cayuse walla walla and umatilla people but when he comes back after leading the first wagon train across uh, what would become the oregon trail he essentially says that God has given him a new mission in his life, and that is to help settle um, the white Christian people of the United States in uh, Mm -hmm. the area what we would eventually know as Oregon, uh, Washington, Idaho, and parts of Montana and Wyoming. Um, And so he shifts gears, and instead of being a missionary, he essentially becomes a waypoint along the Oregon Trail. But of course, Mm -hmm with being a waypoint on the Oregon Trail, he's inviting more and more people every year. Um, So like the first wagon train there, 1842, 105 people. By the next year of 1843, 1,000 people. And that goes up and up, 1,475 by 1844, 3,000 by 1845. Um, It dips a little bit in 1846. By by 1847, that's 4,500 people on those wagon trains. And um, just to give you a, just, just a hint of what that number is. Uh, pardon me. I'm a historian, not a mathematician. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know what these numbers mean.
2: <laughs> um, somewhere. Paint That's me a right. word picture. So the think think about this way from 1840 to 1847, that is 12,869 people thereabout that come across the trail that is essentially if i remember how i worded it um for any of the listeners who like ice hockey that is filling up half the arena of the la kings uh, yeah just the people yeah. and so not only does that bring people but also brings disease and that causes a huge issue for people along the oregon trail mm
1: yeah, I mean it's essentially a second wave of, you know, like we have famously the the smallpox epidemic in you know the fourteen nineties, you know, after Columbus did all of his crimes. But um yeah, it's a whole new wave of people traveling across the land that must have been quite alarming for them. I mean, talk about migrant trains, like
2: that's oh, incredibly. That's, and also yeah. what you have to remember is by this point. Um, The United States, which the United States is only on the other side of Missouri. Um, This is still indigenous lands all the way from Missouri, all the way across to um, the Oregon, California, Washington coast. But what we have to remember is, as was previously mentioned, indigenous people had already been pushed out of their homes on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. There were people from the Haudenosaunee Nation, um, which uh, for those who don't know the Haudenosaunee are what we commonly know as the Iroquois from New York who were warning these people in the western Mm -hmm. part of North America of what these white men were capable of doing yes and so there was a lot of contention starting to build up in these years between the indigenous people and these white settlers right Mm -hmm.
1: it's so I mean it's so nuanced this situation because on the one hand yeah they they're facing all this anxiety of people encroaching on their land and and breaking all these treaties and you know generations that they've already heard of of what's happening out east or being you know pushed further west and and then you have this disease coming and all this fear of and and you know the white men f- Fear you and, and are, have shown violence towards your people. And, and then to still see them, you know, trying to be friendly and trade and, and like, not necessarily being like, welcome, come on in my land, but at least like showing hospitality as they're passing through. Like it's, uh, it's an incredible show of trust, but
0: also like humanity. I think compassion. Yeah. I think if you were watching these people, I don't remember. It wasn't wealthy people who were traveling to Oregon. It was people who had just enough to make a stab at having wealth. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, they were often ill-prepared for the move. Right. Well,
1: they get out there. And as we see with the book, uh, you know, right, everything just goes to hell. Incredible hardships lose 90% of their belongings, it seems like. Maybe you can enlighten us more on that. But um, yeah, just basically oh, yeah. losing everything. But the,
0: the suffering. Another I think...
2: thing I was hoping you'd touch on. Oh, sorry, Kate, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, I'd Another to thing.
2: <laughs> Another thing that I was hoping you were going to touch on was the amount that people were um, losing and dumping. So, oh, my gosh, that stressed I, me out so much in that book. So one thing I love to tell people is littering is America's favorite pastime. Forget about oh. baseball. Littering <laughs> is America's favorite pastime in Favorite tradition.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Um so Boy, I wish it what wasn't. happens? Oh, so do I, so do I every day. <laughs> um <laughs> but what happens is when these Oregon trail travelers are leaving and getting prepared um to leave Missouri this is where capitalism really comes in. Um, Essentially, these people living in these jumping off points like independence, uh, they are essentially loading down these uh, Mm. travelers with much more than they need. They're giving them tools that they're not going to need. They're giving them food and barrels that they're not going to need, extra supplies, extra this, extra that, raising prices through the roof. You want Mm. a mule team? Well, you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, So they're raising these prices just extraordinarily and just weighing down these um travelers who have a paranoia and a very reasonable paranoia for going out west because i mean it's not like the american highway system now where you you generally know what you're going to encounter but chicago um there were people who were writing these books of what you needed and sometimes in those books they over exaggerated too yes Uh, so as these travelers were going west with weighed down by these goods they were realizing that their mule teams their ox teams couldn't carry this weight it was too heavy so they just start abandoning all their trash out the side of their um, wagons but here's the kicker so a lot of these people who sold them these materials actually hired crews of men to follow the wagon trains out across the west Yes. And they would pick up all of the goods that they sold them and oh bring my. them back if to, sell barrel- again. to sell again to the next group. <sighs> if there was a barrel of bacon that was untouched. Good enough. Let's bring it back and sell it to the next people. Who cares if it's a couple of weeks old? Oh, look, there's uh, somebody's grand piano. Maybe somebody in St. Louis will want that. Oh, here's furniture. Oh, wow. These clothes are good. Let's bring them back and mark up prices on them
1: this i mean of course of course they did this but and that also answers another question that i had which was like surely the entire trail must have just been littered with stuff it must have been a general store every like hundred miles just based on like what people were dumping but if people were coming back and grabbing it,
2: <laughs> but here's where there's at least a little bit of faith is um it essentially became a recycling system as well um, because true. when you get further away from the jumping off point where people are abandoning goods say um, on climbs up hills or up mountains um, essentially what they were doing while yes they were dumping off goods they were leaving goods for the next people so if you ran out of a let's say a barrel of water or something happened where you had to lose something or something spoiled lo and behold there's something new for you along the road. You Maybe yeah. your shoes wore out and somebody dumped a pair of shoes. They might not fit exactly, but at least you have something on your feet. Maybe somebody dumped a um, barrel of pork. Uh, there, <laughs> one, uh, one account that I've read about this, one guy basically made it all the way to Oregon by recycling these goods along the trail. Um, basically, how he put it, I think, was that he would pick up one book read it and by the time he was done toss it along the trail and pick up the next book that he found
1: it's the little free library
0: of the, of the trail exactly I do feel
2: very patriotic in this, this yeah
0: it's very cute honestly i maybe littering is one of our favorite pastimes but i also think picking up other people's junk mm. another treasured american pastime yeah yeah one yeah. man's trash that Swift sort of mentality shopping.
1: Um, I was also gonna say, overpacking is a is another cherished American tradition. Uh,
0: so I'm not going on vacation if I can't take all eleven books. I'm just not gonna go.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the idea of of thinking like, okay, we're gonna set off from Independence, Missouri, with nothing but the clothes on our back and a few things in our pocket, would sound absolutely just ill advised and maddening and you just like no one would ever say like this is a
0: good idea right and it's you wear not. a couple couple tacos it's short of a cooked. combo platter it's not
1: as but as we as we see at the end of, the, of our book here like that's basically how they
0: walk into oregon <laughs> yeah just they're not they're even shoes wagon like, just disintegrated underneath that yeah. they had to be like well grab oh a yeah jelly. that's
2: how a lot of people made it into oregon and <laughs> while we did pr- um, prove that we could take wagons across by the time you got to say the dalles which is along the columbia river mm-hmm. your wagon was pretty much shot anyway mm. um and a lot of people um had a choice uh so in the case of the book here um they were still floating people down the columbia river which was treacherous in itself because part of it that had game, <laughs> yes absolutely Um, but the columbia river wasn't how the columbia river is that we think of today Uh, the columbia river today is clogged with dams um, which creates um, a lot of large the the river is a lot wider than it used to be and it's a lot slower but Mm -hmm. the columbia river used to have waterfalls it used to have rapids and essentially when you floated your Um, down the river you had two choices either you could hire a guide who knows how to float um, down the river and can carry all of your stuff for you or you take that wagon that is now torn to shreds and you build your own raft and float down the river so that's your cheap way Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing that isn't mentioned um, in the book and it's escaping me the dates now um, so I don't know if it was before after the time of the book um, but there was also what's called the Barlow Road. Um, hmm. So the Barlow Road went from the Dalles around Mount Hood to the south and into Oregon City, which is now a suburb of Portland. Hmm. Um, do
0: I know that because of the video game?
2: Yes. Okay. All right.
0: I was like, I don't think that came up in the book. Why do I know about the Barlow Road?
2: Um,
0: but it's Because
1: I spent a lot of time is...
2: playing
0: that game.
1: We were all raised <laughs> by that video game. <laughs>
2: Oh, very much so. I have a uh, book, a little joke book in my little library here that's things I learned um, from the Oregon Trail video game. Perfect. Um, And some of the things are fantastic. Um, Mm. But uh, you should text Jen a
0: couple of them later so I can hear them. I
2: would absolutely love to. Oh, absolutely. Actually, would you like me to grab my book real quick? It's right around the corner.
1: I would absolutely
2: love that. Yes. So a correction on the title. The title is, And Then You Die of Dysentery. Oh, This is an adulting from the Oregon Trail. Perfect. (laughs) Absolutely perfect. Anybody who would like this, this is by Lauren Reeves. And there are some bangers in here. Right. Let's see. What do we have? The trail to Oregon is very risky, and there's a chance that you might not make it. But if you stay in Missouri, you could suffer an even worse fate. A serious case of FOMO. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love talking to all the shopkeepers and in independents. That was my favorite part. Oh, that wasn't oh, part of my game. It's different. It's additions. good that you
2: mentioned that because I just flipped to that page. Oh, perfect. Ex- expect to pay full price at Matt's General Store, unless you are an influencer hashtag sponsored hashtag <laughs> ad. <laughs> oh, here's a good one that I like. While I'm looking for the river, sure, sure. Bad news is best delivered swiftly, like a rattlesnake bite. Anyway, oh. Timmy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
1: I do like the part of the, I know you don't like the card game version much. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> uh-huh. I know you don't like the card game of of the Oregon Trail game very much. But one of my, I think my favorite part of that game is that you get to write your own epitaph with the like dry erase marker. Yeah. Right.
2: Oh, I think there's actually something in here about that as well. <laughs> um, ah here's the one about rivers be patient with your family you're stuck with them but if they do really start to get on your nerves have them ford the river somebody's bound to drown
1: oh no. <laughs> oh no that gives me feelings about the book oh yeah. the last one
2: i'll share with you there's a uh, one here for indigenous peoples and says and i really love this one respect the native americans you encounter along the trail By not recognizing Columbus Day as a national holiday. Yes. And it has this lovely picture of a Native American flipping off the three ships from Columbus.
1: (laughs) Hell yeah. In this house, we
0: disrespect Chris Columbus. (laughs) Oh, not the director. The director's fine. Christopher Columbus. Chris Columbus, who did the first couple of Harry Potter movies. Lovely (laughs) individual. Should have changed his name. Yeah. That was a missed opportunity, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Where were we? Well, while we're we're discussing, (laughs) I let's move on to a new uh can I ask you a new question
2: of course please um, do
0: so Hattie our main character uh is one of the sole witnesses to be to some inter wagon train crime the drama oh and this made Jen so mad oh, it, I spent probably
1: 90 minutes on the second episode just,
0: just raging just
1: railing against this topic so
0: I won't dwell on it any longer <laughs> Um, It's fairly easy to imagine petty thefts, um, like what happened with Hattie. Somebody steals a small silver spoon, things like that. But I can also see crime getting bigger. Uh, How were crimes dealt with without the infrastructure of a judiciary system, Mm. police, United States laws, uh, things like that? How was crime? crime. Right, yeah. Like, crime and justice, you know, law and order amongst the wagon train. This is probably where a lot of people imagine the
1: myth of the Wild West, is happening
2: so? Sure. Yes, very much so. Um, so a lot of from how I understand it, um, dealing with crime along the Oregon Trail was very much vigilante law. Um, Yikes! So if somebody let's say that somebody got overly drunk and shot someone, which fun fact, that was the um, number one way. Well, one of the number one ways of people dying on the trail was gunshots or accidental gunshot wounds, um, which is mentioned in the book, by the way, uh, one of the children dying from a accidental gunshot wound. That Mm -hmm. was unfortunately not uncommon. um, But let's say somebody got overly drunk and shot someone dead. Um, There would usually be, Uh, essentially the trail the person who is the head of the wagon train he will essentially serve as um, jury judge and executioner Uh, so as i understand it there would be a very simple trial of this is what you're convicted of this is what you did and this is what we're going to do and would often end very badly um, for Mm. the person Um, as far as petty theft that that probably happened but most people on the wagon trains were good about sharing their supplies. While we in our history books like to paint the picture of the rugged individual in the West, these travelers would not be able to get there without mm-hmm. each other and working as a team. Um, oh, you're
0: going to ignite one of my favorite subjects. Socialism? <laughs> uh Well, just a rugged individual. Like everybody you've Uh-oh. ever met who's like, I'm oh, a rugged individual, pulled myself up on my bootstraps, full of baloney. Yeah. And I, yeah, I have to not be so spicy about it so i'll let you carry on sir (laughs)
2: um so we like to paint the story of the rugged individual but there was a lot of help along the way getting up hills downhills across uh, rivers um even finding food or helping bury the dead um so i at least from what i have read while there was crime along the trail it wasn't often a lot of times you were kept in line by your fellow travelers uh, because your mission was to make it to the west and survive and the worst thing you can do is essentially have your wagon train exile you if you're mm-hmm. traveling alone that's essentially a death on its own
0: yeah mm-hmm. um, but like so a there... much less quick or appropriate one
2: yeah yeah so while there was certainly law on the trail, um, and you, there were instances of people um, doing things and being tried and executed for it, I, as far as at least I know from my readings, it wasn't a super common thing.
1: Well, it strikes me as having a lot of similarities with, um, like ship law, basically, where the captain is in charge and whatever they say goes. And you also have this vested interest in working together to reach your destination, and nobody wants to be cast out because you're you're dead on your own. So, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. Yes. Are you saying that these people are using prairie schooners?
1: They're using prairie schooners, you might say. (laughs) Because, yeah, it is a bit of a a grassy or, you know, I mean, a desert is very similar to an ocean in some ways, you
2: know. Exactly, because it looked like with these wagons going across a sea of grass with these white tarps, like a mast of a sailing ship sailing across a sea of green.
0: Yes. Mm, Poetic. So what can you tell us about the Oregon Trail as it stands today? Are there any sites that are part of your particular interest or something that you think is too good to miss?
2: Yeah, so I got to think about that a little bit, but essentially of around 2,100 something odd miles of the trail between Independence and Oregon City, only about 300 miles of the trail actually survived in preservation. Um, That's across the National Park Service, the Bureau of Land Management and various state um, and county uh, parks and protections. Um, And a lot of the Oregon Trail, so there is no one Oregon trail. That's a misconception that a lot of people have. The Oregon trail was essentially an idea route. And Mm -hmm. that route was miles wide. Uh, But a lot of what we think of as the Oregon trail in its original route, in its cutoffs uh, or its quote unquote shortcuts, there, Mm -hmm. being cutoffs uh, essentially gave way to making roads. Um, So, in 1868, the Transcontinental Railroad is completed. Um, ah, this is essentially and here what.
0: Here we are. <laughs> Back to
2: trains. <laughs> yes, always trains to me. Uh, but the Golden Spike essentially is the last nail in the coffin of Ooh. the Oregon Trail. Um, after the right? completion of the Transcontinental Railroad, Oregon travel um, trail travel begins to diminish until the 1680s, and traveling across the trail becomes a lot easier. Um, so well, excuse me, traveling from east to west becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so we actually 1860s used... were we going for? I'm sorry, I'm so sorry,
1: 1680s. I, yeah, I, my brain was on that. I'm did so I
0: say sorry. 1680s? You did, and I was like, wait, oh no, <laughs> and I really messed this <laughs> up. I could sense immediately, <laughs> and I was like,
1: trying myself to figure out what <laughs> anyway.
2: So, sorry 1880s, about that. wow, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. After the eighteen eighties, got it right this time. Numbers, uh, we woo numbers. <laughs> Not a mathematician. Uh, after this time, the Oregon Trail gives us roads, it gives us railroads, it gives us passes that we can use to have um, our travel from east to west, and it gets quicker, it gets easier. Um, and actually, as a matter of fact, when all this was. Happening and the Oregon Trail was starting to disappear under new cities, under new roads, under new railroads. Um, There was a man by the name of Meeker. Uh, He was a part of a wagon train in 1856 and he made it his mission to preserve the Oregon Trail. So he, in his old age, would ride the trail backwards from Oregon all the way back to Independence, Missouri, using a mule team and a wagon. And as he went along, he put stones uh, marking in the ground of where the original trail was so we actually owe it to meeker for a lot of the preservation of what we have left of the trail Um, because a lot of the trail now follows well i should say um, i-80 follows the original oregon trail Mm. Um, we have union pacific and burlington northern santa fe who have a lot of tracks along the oregon trail Uh, matter of fact when i came back east after leaving whitman mission i followed a very long portion of the oregon trail from Uh, Pendleton, Oregon, all the way um, to Kansas and Missouri, uh, which I stopped at one of the jumping off points uh, by the name of St. Joseph or St. Joe, which if anybody's interested in the Pony Express is where one of the endpoints for the Pony Express was. Um, But the Oregon Trail has gone through a lot of evolutions. Uh, While they're only about 300 miles left, you can still in many places see those heavy ruts sometimes if you know where to look um and kate you had mentioned something interesting about the modern trail uh, one thing that i encourage any listener to check out if you're ever in the west and by west i mean eastern oregon um, there is a place called the um uh, cultural institute it's on the Confederate tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation, and it's the only indigenously owned and operated museum on the entire Oregon Trail. Oh, that's, that's so rad. <laughs> oh, they oh do God. a fantastic job of telling their cultural story there. Um, so I would highly encourage anybody, if you happen to be on I-80 um, going towards Pendleton, Oregon, which is just on the outside of the reservation, to stop by, they're always happy to share their story, share their history and explain how travel on the Oregon Trail essentially changed their lives and how they live today. Mm-hmm. Um, and also yeah, just to the north incredible. end would also be the Whitman Mission. Go say That's hi nice. to my uh, work family there. <laughs> okay. um, but definitely stop at the Confederate tribes of the Umatilla, in the Umatilla Indian Reservation at um, Tomaslic Cultural Institute.
0: Heck yeah. That sounds yeah. great. Um, do you have any books that you could recommend? Our readers, our listeners, I should say, are pretty big readers. And um, I know there's at least one book that you and I have both read, uh, which is the Rinker book. Um, I I guess it's not really, mm. how do you categorize that book? Uh, a memoir? Yeah, but that's the exact one. I listened to it on audiobook, um, which totally holds up. Um, It is partially memoir and partially like the airing of his family's dirty laundry and also partially (laughs) uh, the details. got
1: me on board.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're such a nosy Nelly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it was really good. It was really interesting. And I think that that fact about the gentleman with the mule train putting stone markings, I think I learned that from Rigger Buck. Uh, That was a big part of, or not a big part, but a part of his story um and uh dad lots of information about prairie schooner well fantastic <laughs> i know i know what your next book that is you're gonna listen to
2: and he has a whole chapter on mules
0: oh actually i thought the mule chapter was my favorite part
2: that's actually what a lot of people tell me
0: <laughs> yeah it, huh. uh, most mules in america are descended of george washington's mules okay that is a fun fact it is right <laughs> so, it's like legitimately oh, fun fact.
1: hold up hold up hold yeah. up
0: aren't mules famously sterile they are it so. There are mules that can breed, and I feel like Rinker Buck touched on this. Okay. Um, but the mules that are descended of George Washington's were gifts from like Philip II of Spain or something. Mm. And they had mules. It's not Philip II
1: because he led the Armada against Queen Elizabeth. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I'm wrong. by like 150 years. Um, anyway, so somebody in Europe gifted George Washington a mule team that was capable of breeding, and as such, he bred them out because yeah. that's what he liked to do i
1: had no idea
0: and so those that mule strain still exists in america today fascinating actually, I, yes, I recall, I, and also original history sorry wait i'm uh, sorry, not the correct
2: to kate um but for, oh, i please, think it was actually oh, it was a i'm uh, sorry i know some people get very particular if you correct them About um their but oh, facts, uh, i'm wrong uh,
0: all the time
2: <laughs> so it was a uh if i recall it was a horse and a um donkey that was gifted and this particular oh. um a breed of these two when they um, got put together essentially created the mule breeds that Washington would make famous and All so right. essentially he figured out the science of what breed of um, donkey and what breed of horse need to go together to make this particular style of mule which eventually became a very American mule and as you mentioned um, huh. would be worked on the Erie Canal as well.
1: That's you. I love the Erie Canal. It's
0: yeah. special. I rode
2: on it yeah nope. um if we ever know
0: each other better in the future correct me all the time because i'd rather get the that's god's truth even when sometimes she's wrong yeah um yeah no correct me i'll never care about that i'd rather the right information get out there
1: especially on a podcast because we've made that mistake
0: before boy did we get corrected
1: um can you i don't know if we actually discussed we mentioned the title of it that the oregon trail it's called the oregon trail
2: the title is The Oregon Trail, a New American Journey by Rinker Buck.
1: Fantastic. Sounds like it's got a lot of really fun side stories, which I know is an interest of both of ours.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rinker Buck and his brother go through a lot of interesting a lot of interesting situations utilizing the roads, like they're on the American Road System sometimes mm-hmm. with a mule team and a prairie schooner trying to like go across like bridges and stuff that are entirely the wrong size for this it, it was really interesting I enjoyed it a great deal um if you're one of those people who feels like I can't sit and just listen to like facts about the Oregon Trail why are you here it's also kind of an adventure book and it's smattered with a lot of family stuff mm. um so you can tell it's kind of a cleansing exercise for him and his brother.
1: Hmm, yeah.
0: Um, but it's also got some good information. Fascinating. Yeah. Do you have any other book recommendations?
2: Um, for the Oregon Trail in particular, not really. Uh, and I actually have a funny anecdote about that. Um, so one of the uh, gentlemen who Rinkerbuck actually mentions in his book for helping him uh, plan his trip, which, as you may recall um, in the book, Uh, He goes to this office in, I think it was St. Louis or somewhere around in there. And he goes to this guy's office demanding that um, he get help on planning his trip. So that guy actually happened to walk into the um, park one day. And I recognized him because he pointed at uh, the book and mentioned something about Rinker Buck and talking to him. And I asked him, was there any books that he would recommend um, like for the general public for learning about the Oregon Trail? And his face kind of went blank. Um, and because, like uh, not really a lot of the stuff on the oregon trail is a lot of statistic kind of stuff mm, um, but yeah. if you are interested in oregon trail i recommend finding journals from uh and diaries diaries how um, coincidental hey. from mm. these oregon trail travelers they have a lot of good information and a lot of insight as to what was going on on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis um, and so while there's not really any book that comes to mind for me Those journal diaries are very good reference. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're interested in learning more about the Whitman Mission and Whitman Mission National Historic Site. I would Mm -hmm. highly recommend the um, book Unsettled Ground by Cassandra Tate. Uh, She does a very good job of explaining those travelers coming across the trail and does a great job of balancing the story of the Whitmans and the indigenous perspective. She did a lot of research um, both on the Whitmans and going to the Conferred Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation and um, talking to them on their side of the story. Um, So she does a very good job of balancing that out while talking about the events that happened at the mission and the events that happened after the mission and where we are today with that. Cool, fascinating.
1: Uh, we we talked
2: a little bit about the Whitman mission um, at the beginning,
1: and you kind of told us about how it kind of got started. And I think you said something about wanting to put a pin in that uh, and come back. What 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 do you what more do you have to say about the Whitman mission as we close? Yeah. out?
2: Yeah, so that pin comes in the year of 1842 uh, where we were talking about you had asked about the first wagon train Mm -hmm. Um, so as i mentioned marcus when he comes back he has a change in what he is doing what he believes his god-given mission is and so instead of being there to convert he is there to he decides he's there to help supplement the settlement white settlement of what it will eventually become Oregon Washington Idaho and parts of Montana and Wyoming and by doing that he becomes a way station for these travelers and this is uh so I the book it's fantastic she does a very good job of writing and honestly as compared to a lot of journals and diaries on the trail it actually fits in very closely to how a lot of these people wrote and what they wrote about um which also irked me a little bit about the Whitman mission (laughs) okay? because it already has a misunderstood story. So oftentimes, if anybody's ever heard about this before, you'll often hear it called the Whitman massacre. Hmm. And that's where I would like to get into it just a little bit. So once he changes over from essentially being a Christianizing mission to Um, a mission of helping these travelers. Um, From 1836 to 1842, he's already had a slightly contentious relationship with the Cayuse people. The Cayuse people actually invited him in particular to come to their homeland because they wanted to learn more about this culture uh, that they had heard about. They wanted to have spiritual power added into their culture, which was the christianity and the bible um the white man's book of god Mm. uh they weren't necessarily looking to convert they were looking for spiritual medicine um Mm. but also by having marcus on their land um they also provide an american on their land in an area where there were a lot of men from the hudson's bay company Mm -hmm. uh so their idea was maybe this would help with trade and putting two factions against each other maybe we'll get better deals um but of course, Marcus had different ideas. And there was a lot of misunderstandings between them, a lot of cultural misunderstandings, a lot of lifestyle misunderstandings. Um, and so interest in Marcus and his mission would wane and come back, wane and come back, until eventually, in 1842, he changes his mission essentially into a on way, um, waypoint. Um, Marcus Whitman is a doctor by training from New York State. And this is what gets him into a lot of trouble. Um, so in our modern day, we understand immune systems. Um, like I like to tell visitors while I was working at the mission, though, 1800s medicines helps no one. <laughs> yeah. a matter of fact, it probably does more damage than help. Mm, yeah. Um, and so while he was at the mission, he was practicing medicine. Um, so the original part of the Oregon Trail actually goes up to his mission and then dips back down towards the columbia river which one of the uh people in the book actually does mention the possibility of going to the mission which yeah. by the way takes place in 1847 i'll yep. get to that that's yep. a very important year so listeners remember 1847 yep. i may be bad at numbers but maybe you're not <laughs> hopefully you're not <laughs> uh, so the a lot of people the, the trail eventually goes past uh, the Whitman mission in the area that's now Pendleton, Oregon. Uh, Same Pendleton, by the way, that's Pendleton blankets. I was I knew it.
1: Oh, yeah. Fancy. (laughs)
2: Um, But um, people would spend, it's an extra three day trip there about to get to the mission and then back down to the trail. Um, So these people were coming and they were coming to restock food, get medicine and so forth, or to stay the winter if they had gotten too late of a start. And so one of the big diseases that were very common were smallpox and measles. Mm -hmm, And in 1847, there was a measles outbreak, a very Mm -hmm. bad one. And going back to the medicine, um, the Cayuse people realized and saw that Marcus's medicine, and I'm putting air quotes since nobody can see me doing that, Uh, Marcus's (laughs) medicine, uh, they could see that it was helping his white patients, but the indigenous people who were coming to them, it wasn't helping them. They were dying. Uh, And this seemed very suspicious to the Cayuse people. Here are these white travelers coming in, growing by the year, more and more and more coming through their homeland uninvited Mm. and wiping out ecosystems from trampling uh, uh, grasses that are needed for their horses and for foods that they hunt, polluting waters with waste um, from uh, fecal matter from animals and from themselves, which could also lead to cholera as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And they keep coming. And essentially how I tell children is, imagine inviting a friend over um, for a sleepover. And they decide that they're going to spend the next night. But the next night, you're not going to sleep in your bed. They're going to sleep in your bed. They invite themselves for another night. And instead of sleeping in your bedroom, you now have to sleep in the hallway just outside your bedroom. And every night they keep inviting themselves. And so eventually you're in the hallway. Then maybe you don't have access to the bathroom. Then you have to stay downstairs in the couch. And then maybe you can't access the kitchen until you know it, Mm -hmm. you and your family you're on the front porch, and that friend you invited over is saying, no, no, this is my land. You gave it to me, remember? Mm, yeah. And so there's a lot of suspicion going on because while these people are dying, uh, again, his white patients are surviving. And so it starts to they start to get an idea. Is Marcus Whitman poisoning us for our land? Is he trying hmm. to kill us? Um, now, in Cayuse culture, they have medicine men known as t the t is kind of, think of it um, in like Spider-Man, right? If you have the power, um, with great power comes great responsibility. And so if you have yeah. the power to heal, you have the power to kill. Mm-hmm. And so malpractice is met with, if you kill somebody, the survivor of that person is able to put you to death. Um, protect um, the whole um, from this malpractice is the idea so mm-hmm. um, it's better to put one person to death than to have more people suffer the same fate and yeah. marcus whitman he's aware of this and he he's very acutely aware of this and it causes his wife narcissa a lot of stress um but he's going to continue doing this and in 1847 we've come to a head by this time the measles epidemic is really strong um uh, and He's losing a lot of women and children, children especially in the uh, Cayuse uh, community, and a very and I can't stress this enough a very 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 small group of men decide that they're going to enact on Cayuse law and put Marcus to death. Hmm, uh, sure. So in November of eighteen forty seven, and actually the anniversary is coming up here pretty quickly. Um, hmm, yeah. In um in eighteen forty in that uh, month of eighteen forty seven a very small group of men are going to arrive to the mission and they're going to ask for some medicine and while uh the Narcissa is going to get this medicine um they shoot her and they uh, essentially put a tomahawk into the back of Marcus's head Mm -hmm. um so at this time, and this is very important, going back to the word massacre, massacre is a very loaded word and Absolutely. is very much a weaponized word in American yeah. culture sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so understand that at this time, there were 75 people at the mission um, Oregon Trail travelers, uh, Marcus and his wife, other missionaries. Uh, there were Englishmen from the Hudson's Bay Company, there were fur trappers, there uh, were actually a couple people of spanish descent and there were believe it or not hawaiians at the mission at that time Hmm. wow yeah Yeah. Uh, hawaiians (laughs) actually played a big part um in the pacific northwest uh, especially with as i mentioned the american board of commissioners for missions or abcfm they would hire a lot of these uh uh, hawaiians to be navigators on boats and so sometimes they ended up in the West, um on the pacific northwest mm-hmm. uh, but anyway there's 75 people at this uh, mission and only 13 are killed those 13 mm-hmm. are all except for the exception of narcissa whitman are all white american men yeah who are held responsible for bringing this disease into caillou's country mm-hmm. Her, um, the women are left alone the um, people of other descents are left alone. As a matter of fact, uh, there were a couple of Americans who claimed that they were English in order to escape um, hmm. the attack. And essentially, this um, so 13 die on this day. And so it's not a massacre. And I do take a little bit of issue in the book with it being called a massacre, which is okay. She's actually sticking to the historic narrative because right. yeah. by the time they got out, to um oregon um oregon city they got the news of this because this is happening in the same year that the book is taking place mm-hmm. so they mention not going to whitman mission which right. the author makes a very um makes a makes a choice on this because right. that way she can mention it without putting her characters in danger but, but
1: because of the like you know fictional relationship between narcissa and aunt june we have this emotional connection to feel some sort of investment of like why they're bringing this up you know so late absolutely yeah absolutely. it makes a lot of sense um
2: but so here's where you get into another part of the story It's a little tricky is the the news gets back to the hudson's bay company first in what is now Um, Fort Vancouver um, Mm -hmm. or Vancouver, Washington. Um, And they tell um, the news gets them that these people were killed and that the Cayuse are holding hostages and asking for things in return, blankets, ammunition, food. Mm -hmm. And the Hudson's Bay Company says, well, let's not tell the Americans because we know what happens when the Americans hear about something like this. They're going to get riled Mm up, Uh, still do today. Um say something's never changed. Who, <laughs> There's a great American pastime. Oh God. Yes. Um so uh, sent the Hudson's Bay Company very quietly sends a mission um mission of delegates up the Columbia River to go talk to the Cayuse people, give them their trade goods, and bring those people back um mm-hmm. to Fort Vancouver. They let the um party get um uh, a good ways up the river. So they time it out a couple of days, and then they go over to the Americans say, by the way there's an issue don't freak out but and Doing when the that. americans get this news they go wild yep. yeah and it's, so they, i mean
1: it's everything it's 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 almost salivating i guess, to the, like the east coast like propaganda machine of like this is what we were afraid
2: of and oh the and they use that yeah. yeah they absolutely use that to their advantage mm-hmm. they send letters to washington uh, dc saying we can't be left alone we need to be a territory because we need your protection and yeah. that that is where the oregon territory comes wow In 1848 Tinsel. one year oh. after um, the attack on the mission
1: incredible yeah that's
2: that's yeah it fits it's it it makes me tired it makes me tired and sad it's also, yeah. unfortunately, where a lot of what we think of as the uh, American Indian Reservation System comes from. Okay. It starts with the uh, Nez Perce and other peoples of the uh, Pacific Northwest and then kind of spreads from there. Mm-hmm. Because we, you can't obviously be trusted to be around our people. So we're yeah. going to take this land and we're going to put you on these reservations.
0: Yeah. It's like saying to deer, like putting all the deer in zoos, because obviously they can't be trusted around our highway systems. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's never mind that we're not ones who are supposed to be there, right? And it's also
1: kind of you know painfully ironic because it that their sense of justice, you know, like you're saying, like the to kind of eliminate the threat to preserve the greater good of the community, the greater good. um, in a way like we believe in that sense of justice as well like that's the basis of you know a carceral system where you're saying let's take this problem person put them in prison you know if if necessary when i'm putting in scare quotes because i don't per- personally believe in the death penalty but like that is something that historically you know our country believes in is that you know the person has done so bad that they need to be eliminated um you know and so it's just a sense like I feel like most people could understand that point of view it's just that by that time we were just so primed to be so upset yeah. <laughs> that they just never had a yeah. chance to really explain themselves
2: and a note mm-hmm. that I'd like to make because I realized that this is a part of the story that could be missed a little bit is mm-hmm. um it's not like the attack happens they go hog wild and start putting people on reservations mm-hmm. um there's actually a little bit of a darker story behind that oh um, no oh it gets worse it gets worse oh boy! Uh, so a militia of oregon volunteers gather together and they basically start a war of genocide against not just the cayuse people but against any indigenous person in their right, way because who can tell the difference That's essentially how they took it. And so after a couple of years of fighting and starving out the Cayuse people and basically forcing them to run, the Mm -hmm. Cayuse people say, that's enough. We've had enough. We're going to give up um, these men, these five men, and please stop hurting us. Our children are um, sick and hungry. Our women um, are um, tired. Please stop. Mm-hmm. And so this is where those treaties come from that set up the reservation systems. Is after that, and what's also important to remember is the this attack um, by the Cayuse on the Whitman mission was done through Cayuse law. Hmm. These five men are taken from their homelands in eastern Washington, Oregon, to the west in uh, the area that's now Portland, and they're put on trial with American laws. Hmm um they they had lawyers who fought to say you cannot do this this was cayuse law in the cayuse nation we are not in the united states because this is not the oregon territory either but these five men were put on trial by american laws they were convicted by american laws Hmm. and they were hanged by american laws
1: yeah
2: um but yeah and it's a sad story and uh, the Oregon Trail would just get larger from there the Pacific Northwest would continue to grow and the Oregon, um story is a story of uh, it's a story of bravery it's a story of courage it's a story of sorrow and a story of loss on many mm-hmm. parties um, and there's just a lot unfortunately that could have been done that wasn't done
0: mm. mm-hmm. yeah that, yeah it's but it is deeply complex you're absolutely correct and and it's so fascinating
1: mm-hmm. because it, it's easy to kind of oversimplify um these different stories and say well oh these white people shouldn't have been there you know that or or you know but then you have to you have to factor in the classism of of American society and and people dealing with poverty and looking to better themselves and, and and seek a new opportunity that their own country is saying, like, here, here the here's this opportunity right in front of you, go take it. And you can't really blame them for wanting to, you know, get a better life for their family. And and then they do go through their own incredible hardships of you know, traveling the the Oregon
0: Trail and fording all those rivers and, and being so deeply uncomfortable, yeah, which yeah. as an indoor cat I'm against <laughs> camping is <Ew. laughs> for several nights in a row. I can't if that is my whole Yeah. State. So it, it, yeah, it's incredibly
1: complex and and you and 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 tragic in many ways. Uh but also kind
0: of inspiring. I mean people cooperating people. Yeah you know, facing their fears mm-hmm. um, incorporating into new communities. Um, there's a lot to admire as well on on every side of the issue, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you have people kind of confronting their
1: prejudices as as Hattie does meeting Native Americans and 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 also working with each other in community to take care of each other. So yeah, there's there's like all life there's getting bad.
2: I was so proud. I know it's a fictional character, but I was so proud of Hattie when she said, when I started out, I was scared of three things, but I'm not scared of Indigenous people anymore. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was a growth
1: moment. Yeah, we just... (laughs) Both said the same thing at the same time, uh, but yeah, it was, I think it's a super important lesson in the book, and I'm really, really glad that the author put that in there mm-hmm. as a way to show a way for people to confront and overcome their own prejudices and fears, in in a healthy way. Like Hattie is such a good role model in that, so
0: yeah, I like it. I I really enjoy this book. I think it is my second favorite of everything we've read so Ooh. far. All right. Uh Winter of the Red Snow is number Still, three.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really excited for our next book, which is going to be about an Irish mill girl.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh triangle shirtwaist fire, nope. right? Oh, not right there yet. I got too excited. We're in
1: Massachusetts for this next month. So.
0: Oh, we're early American uh, yes, yes, Industrial yes. Revolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not late.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, anyways, uh Chris, it was a real pleasure having this time with you this evening. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us and bringing us so much information uh this was really great
2: of course yeah. and before you sign off do you want to play an oh. oregon trail game
0: oh my god yes
1: i almost forgot <laughs> yes
2: so okay. in okay. front of me and we're going to do this a little bit D style okay a little bit <laughs> oh not a lot gen. but it's going to be Wait, more guessing oregon trail <laughs> D&D?
0: is that real oh it will, it will <laughs> okay I we want can make that. that a thing
2: that, right, that like, should you be have the have, uh, like that should be the efficient ribbon book club product. The Oregon hey. Trail D&D game.
1: Okay. Right okay. It. All right. Okay. So you're hitting all my sweet spots, Chris, because like I did run a Western-themed D&D campaign that was all homebrewed, and I was legitimately like planning to write my own mechanics for an Oregon Trail-like side quest.
0: <laughs> After that, could he have uh, a fur trade one? Yeah. Sure. Thank you. So <laughs> but, yes, I'm so, I'm
2: all on board. In front of me, I have a couple of different scenarios numbered one through 25 and you get to choose your fate on the Oregon trail. Oh my God. So the year yep. is 1861 and you're okay. on your way across the trail. You are escaping um, from the conflicts of the East coast as the American civil war yep, rages yep, on. Yep. Hoping to right on a new life in the Pacific Northwest. And so I'm presenting you with 25 different options of what your fate looks like along the trail. <laughs> and I'll let you each pick one number. Kate, oh, did you want to well, go first? I'm sticking with twelve. 12? Yeah. Twelve?
1: Okay. All right,
2: Kate. Um, you, yeah. I'll, I'll do Kate first. So Kate, you make your why way don't we just up.
1: alternate choosing making choices so that we don't have to like go through this all twice or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. For Unfortunately, first, it's more then.
2: of a uh, one choice. Um oh deal. okay, okay. Sorry, I don't know. But I we can do two myself. rounds if you want to figure out your fate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Kate, you're gonna make your way across the trail and you're not going to feel too well. And so unfortunately, spot, right? I'm sorry, Kate, you died of smallpox in Wyoming. Oh, oh, you made
0: it so close. Wyoming, that's a good place to die, though. It's a good, good haunting
2: area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to touch on it my is other because special there is interest. nothing in Wyoming. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> lots of, lots of open sky above you.
2: All right, Jen, what fate okay. will you pick? Okay,
1: so well, it was one through. One through 25. 25. And number 12
2: has been taken.
1: I'm going to pick number 22, because like Taylor Swift, I have a deep attachment to my birthday
2: number. All right. So you started out along the trail, and things Mm -hmm. are going well. As you make your way (laughs) along the trail, you're noticing the beauty of the trail. And you're Uh, noticing the abundance of land and the fertileness along the rivers. So as you're going along, you decide that you found a nice place. And Jen, you have Uh survived and you have settled along the trail yes oh.
1: see okay this is actually perfect because this is what i was wanting them to do the entire time of the book i was like you're in a nice place just settle down just stop if there's water just stop <laughs> just stop
0: yeah
2: that's all my- right So, Kate, are you happy with your ending or would you like to try one more time
0: no i'm perfectly happy dying of smallpox we all die someday that's right wyoming is
2: right. such
1: a bad place to haunt
2: <laughs> all right and jen do you want to try again or are you happy with being no i'm the trail?
1: perfectly happy this is exactly what i wanted to end up in nebraska <laughs>
2: it's just i would crazy. like to say i put this die of dysentery several times on this list.
1: <laughs> yes i'm so glad that i didn't die of dysentery i
0: love that you homebrewed this for us yeah. thank you we're gonna work Absolutely. together to turn this into a whole thing this i want to play day. i super want to play okay all right but what classes because you can't have like we'll get to that don't worry okay
2: Well, you have different characters you can play as in Oregon Trail. You have the merchant. You have uh, a couple of other um, players that are not coming to the top of my head. You guys had a way fancier version of Oregon Trail than I did. It was in color. Okay, mine was also in
0: color Mm -hmm. because I'm not that much older than you. Dang. (laughs) Ouch. Uh, No, but you couldn't play as other characters. You were the nameless faces.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had to, but you recruited a, a team in my yeah. version. So yeah, you would go through like different um, characters that you could recruit and go oh, through their no. stats.
2: I just put their names oh, in.
1: Okay, yeah. So
2: <laughs> In the words of, and then you die of dysentery, yeah. you can be anything you want, as long as it's a banker, a farmer, or a yeah, teacher. Exactly. Remember, bankers have no useful skills, only money. Those 1%ers will just try to buy their way to Oregon that's right
1: but you can always afford to um to pay the ferry crossing which i think is you Pretty know sweet. an overlooked benefit because i i think everyone gets a little foolhardy and thinks they can for the river themselves also
0: an important source of meat if you die. get stuck somewhere say yeah. in daughter pass yeah i'd
1: say bring the banker and then eat them yep
0: okay <laughs> do you hear the people sing singing a song <laughs> fantastic Sorry, it's always going to be about Broadway with me forever. <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay with a broad. I'm okay with a little bit of Broadway. God bless. Well, Chris, this was a real pleasure. Thank yeah. you for taking the time to be with us tonight. Yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say. This yeah. was wonderful. Thank you so much. This is Kate Reed. I'm going to bed. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, we'll we'll do our. We, we could say good night to you, and then we might have like one more note for the audience. But yes.
2: Have a good night and visit your local National Park Service site.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. We'd like to thank Erica Page for creating our amazing intro and outro music, Callie Charing for being the best research librarian we know, and the world's best editor, Danny Heck. Feel free to reach out to them with contact info in the description.